Hello. Hello. I'm Kowal. And I'm Kenna. Welcome to this week's Mental Breakdown. Mental Breakdown. Break it, break it down. Chicka, chicka, wow. <laughs> to be my mental breakdown. This is Kenneth speaking. If you can't tell the difference between our voices yet, I know we sound quite similar to other people. We have the same singing voice and anybody that's ever heard us sing karaoke knows that we struggle with not sounding the same. Duets, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just sounds like the same person duetting with themselves. (laughs) It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So before we begin this week's mental breakdown, I'd quickly like to talk about a couple of different organizations. I was invited to a gala this past weekend, and the organization that it was representing as a fundraiser for was called uh, Room Redux. It's Hmm. spelled Redux. It's like a play on redo. Um, so I didn't get too, too much information it's about pronounced it. pronounced Redux? It is. Pre- I asked. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, so I didn't get too, too much information about it. However, I did ask while I was there, and it's pretty much an organization that helps children that are unfortunately victims of abuse. I felt like this was a good platform to share it on because this is a mental health advocacy platform. Yeah. Um, so if these children have experienced any type of abuse, I think it's mostly physical. Um, of course... I think it's like 90-something percent of this abuse happens in their room, their bedrooms, and their Mm -hmm. common areas. And so it can be very triggering once they are no longer victims of this abuse and they are, in our eyes, out of it, they still feel trapped and they feel like they don't have their own space. So what Room Redux does is that they go and they... It's kind of like extreme makeover room addition for these children. Oh, that's cool. So they completely redo their rooms Mm -hmm. and they give them a space to call their own. And uh, without going too much into it, this lady gave her testimony and she said that, you know, she has three daughters with her wife. They share three children together and all three of them were victims of abuse and they did not know what was going on until they did. Um, After they found this out, all of the girls had trouble sleeping uh, for years after that. Mm -hmm. uh, Room Redux reached out to them. They redid all three of the girls' bedrooms and the common area upstairs. Wow. And she said that that was the first time that her 16-year-old had slept through the night in years before that. Wow. And she said she slept through the night every night since. So That's incredible. I, like, want to cry. I have, like, chills. It's it's such a cool idea and such a, you know, moving, remarkable concept because Mm -hmm. you don't know how... I mean, I personally have never been subject to abuse, thankfully. Mm -hmm. However, I don't know how that is. And if someone's telling you that something's triggering to them, then you need to listen. And just to be able to give them something that they can take back and claim as their own again is just probably such a relief on them and such a, you know, weight off their shoulders. I can't just like personally, you know, I went through a domestic violence situation and I can't imagine having to be made to live in that apartment Mm -hmm. even after my abusers left. Like that's, ugh, I can't even imagine that. So imagine being a child, you don't have an option. You don't have an option. Most of the time the family can't move yeah they don't have the you know the means and stuff yeah so, so that, that's, that's really powerful yeah that's so that's uh room redux which is a very remarkable organization uh so while i was talking i was uh lucky enough to sit at a table with two board members mm-hmm. 
of Room Redux. They didn't give me permission to use their name, so I'm not going to here. However, we started talking about the podcast. The wife is a really big true crime junkie. She's mm-hmm. like, I've been looking for a new podcast. And so <laughs> I, I gave her the information and I started talking to the husband. Well, they actually run their own organization. Uh, so I told them I would love in, to be able to advocate for them and shout them out on our podcast just to get, build more awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was emailing back and forth with the husband earlier today, and I am just going to read what he told me about it because I don't want to try to paraphrase and then miss something or mm-hmm. say something incorrectly. Right. So he says, we are a nonprofit motorcycle organization that helps children who face abuse and educate the public on how they can recognize and react to child abuse. Hmm. We were established in 2006 in San Antonio, Texas, and have grown to over 50 chapters in over 17 states, plus six in Canada, making us an international child advocacy organization. That is amazing. I know. I'm like smiling really big. I know. He said San Antonio alone works with over 100 children and their families by modeling the appropriate adult behavior that should have been there from the start and providing a sense of comfort and security during the court process. Wow. Some of these children, which they told me, um, are not able to have a representative or somebody that they feel safe around when they are in court. Like so an advocate? They, yeah, so they kind of help these children through this process. Oh, okay. He said this takes, on average, three years from the date of outcry to the date of a court hearing where a perpetrator is found guilty of mm. abuse. We involve the children in a variety of programs, group therapy, mentorship, and one-on-two, which is a challenge to the model of one-on-one. Uh, We are never alone with any child in any capacity or circumstance, he says. And he says this provides comfort not only for the child, but the family and as well as protection for the organization. I love that. That's huge. He also says we engage the children in group therapy by getting kids together who have faced abuse and organically showing them they are not alone, which is the biggest lie a child who has faced abuse tells themselves that they are alone. That's so true. So unfortunate. He also says this organic mixing allows children to heal from the trauma faster and return to their childhood naturally when they realize there are others, quote, like them. Yeah. We also, he says, we also engage in mentorship where we take a small group of children and guardians and engage in a small activity. The purpose of this is to model what the, quote, safe adult relationship that was violated, what it's supposed to look like. Right. We also engage in one-on-two, like we said earlier, where a child can talk to two guardians as a safe adult. Not in the capacity of a counselor, but in the capacity of a friend. These conversations are private between the child and guardian, unless there's a concern of safety for safety, of course, or of the child or the other person involved. Mm -hmm. Now, he says our outreach in the community focuses on educating the public and recognizing and reacting to child abuse as the number one epidemic of child abuse is a silence on the issue. Over 60 percent of adults on average identify as a child affected by abuse, but only 10 percent of children make an outcry of abuse. Mm. He said, we believe the public needs to be more outspoken on getting children who need help, even if they don't come forward with their abuse. And lastly, he mentioned our group is made up of entirely volunteers. No one gets paid a single penny and we're funded through fundraisers and what grants we qualify for. We use this money to support our mission and as every aspect of our program is free for the families involved. Wow. I have like full body chills right now. Um, that is so remarkable that they, that they do that. He said, thank you. Thank you. In all caps for sharing our organization. (laughs) And what was the organization's name? It's called, sorry. (laughs) It's called, uh, guardians of the children. Guardians of the children. Yes. And it's a 100% nonprofit. Like we just said, of course, you just heard all the information on it. It is such a cool idea and such a great cause, you know, it's, it's so true. Children, they need somebody to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. And it's so unfortunate that it doesn't get a lot of this abuse doesn't get reported simply because the child is made to think that maybe no one's going to believe them or that that's, there's nothing wrong with what's happening. You know, all all these other scenarios. Well, that's part of the conditioning too, that happens through the The, abusive grooming process. And uh, yeah, I mean, it happens to adults as well, but I can't imagine being 
a kid and yeah. like having to deal with something like that and then you're so much easy you're so much more susceptible to manipulation absolutely and that's so scary i know but that's incredible what yeah. what an amazing job yes yeah, so if you want to so cool. if you want to research guardians of the children uh like you said they're in 17 states and six parts of canada please please reach out if that's something that you think you might need help with or maybe your children are struggling or if you are in a situation where your child is having a hard time adjusting to their work or continuing to live in their bedroom please reach out to ream redux they mm-hmm. are a great organization as well so oh yeah i just quickly wanted to touch on both of those because they both just moved me the other night when I was able to learn about Mm -hmm. them and like what a privilege to be able to be in the you know the presence of these people that are just so amazing yeah doing incredible work yes giant giant shout out to you both and it was such a pleasure meeting you yeah and thanks for uh allowing us to talk about you guys it's so cool absolutely we are going to get into our mental breakdown for this week we are talking about Multiple personality disorder, mm-hmm. now referred to as dissociative identity disorder. Oh, okay. And I will explain why that is in a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first we're going to talk about what dissociative identity disorder is. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this. A lot of people probably have their own ideas. Of, oh, I know what that is. I thought I did too, and it's different than what I was thinking. Now, it is a disruption, this is straight out of the DSM, a disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states, which may be described in some cultures as an experience of possession. The disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency, accompanied by related alterations in effect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, or other sensory motor functioning. These signs and symptoms are either observed by others or the individual. So it can be, it can go both ways. The individual, a lot of the times before they get diagnosed, don't even realize that this is happening. And I'll explain why. Now, these are just more facts about it. Uh, It includes, oh, these are symptoms, I'm sorry. Uh, They include recurrent gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting. So that's one of the symptoms. Hmm. So... Like dementia or... It's called, they actually call it uh, dissociative amnesia. Okay. Okay. So okay. that kind of gives you a little bit more of a, you know, understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Again, these are symptoms in order to be diagnosed mm-hmm. with this. The disturbance is not a normal part of broadly accepted culture or religious practice. In children, the symptoms are not better explained by imaginary playmates or other fantasy play. Okay. Um, and so lastly, saying, like imaginary play and stuff like that, it does not necessarily mean that a child has it. Yes, no, absolutely. Lastly, symptoms are not attributable to the uh, physiological effects of a substance. For example, blackouts or chaotic behavior during alcohol intoxication or other medical conditions uh, such as seizures would not right. influence this disease. Okay. Uh, or be causes of yeah. this disease. So when I say dissociative amnesia, there is two or more, and I'm not going to use the word personality because that's been stigmatized. Right. When you think person, multiple personality disorder, the reason they change it is because a personality is something that you choose, mm-hmm. and it's something that is cognitive. Um, identity is different. Yeah. So that's why they change it to dissociative identity disorder. So just as an example, let's say that I I have been diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. Me, Kenna, would be the what they would call the host Mm -hmm. that is the person that is most for the identity that is most forward presenting Mm -hmm. most of the time they make the decisions now there are other identities that come in let's say another one of my identities comes in and and forward faces uh sits in the driver's seat so to speak Mm -hmm. 
during this time that this person is having control, Kenna has no idea what's happening. Okay. When Kenna comes back, she will not remember everything that happened at the time she wasn't in the driver's seat. Hmm. That's why they call it dissociative amnesia. Dissociative. Okay, so these are the same amnesia. It's like little pockets of not remembering. Yes, quote unquote. and it's it's. But it can. But it presents itself like you're forgetful, or it presents yourself like you're. But it's it's this to the extreme though. Like me witnessing this is yes. what I'm saying is that I'm like I literally just talked to you about that, and you're like I don't remember that. Yes, but. If you were having a conversation with a different identity other than Kenna, that that identity would tell you who they are. Right. They wouldn't try to be Kenna. They would say, I'm Stephanie or yeah. whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that they think this happens is it, it's a defense mechanism to trauma. And I'll get mm-hmm. into that. Now, the most defining feature of DID, I'm going to call it DID because it's easier. The most defining feature of DID is the presence of two or more distinct personality states, a.k.a. identities, The overtness or covertness of these identities vary as a function of physiological motivation, current levels of stress, culture, internal conflict and dynamics, and emotional resilience. Hmm. So it's reactionary. Yes, it is. Absolutely. To whatever you're being exposed to. Now, many people with DID develop it as a response to trauma they experienced growing up. Like I said, children between the ages of five to seven are in the most crucial stage of personality development. But Hmm. when a trauma happens, the individual does not get an opportunity to showcase one single personality because they're dissociating with their reality. Hmm. Therefore, more than one and up to an infinite number of identities can show through and come into play during different moments of this individual's life for years up to the rest of their life. Wow. So... During these stressful situations, another identity will shine through, for lack of a better term, in order to take over the role and put the original identity in a state of dissociative amnesia, like I said, so they become unaware of what's Mm -hmm. happening. So, let's say Kenna, my identity as Kenna, Mm -hmm. is subject to abuse, physical abuse. Mm -hmm. While that is happening, Kenna will dissociate, and an identity that is labeled the protector, which every single person pretty much, I think, that has the ID, has this protector role, Mm -hmm. will come in and they will endure that abuse for Kenna. Yeah. And then when Kenna comes back, it's like she didn't, she wasn't even there when it was happening. It's a, it's Hmm. a, it's a really, it's a response to trauma and it's a defense mechanism, like I said. That's Uh, incredible that your brain can do that. Right. And what's interesting is that it sounds like it's almost like a skill. It doesn't sound like it's a disorder. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I'm going to go into those little those identities and how they are named and what they're labeled as. There are many different types of identities that can develop during this time. Again, there is an infinite number. Most people report having one very specific, who I told you is the host. Um, the one that is the protector is the one that will come through when they are in a stress- stressful situation that they do not want the host to uh, have to endure. So they'll mm-hmm. take the driver's seat over, like I said. Other identities have been referred to as littles. So these are identities that take on the identity of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching this video, actually, very, very interesting. This girl, um, she had a little that would come through, and she was saying that it's very stressful as the host because when the little wants to come through, and it actually happened during this interview, the, mm-hmm. the little, her name was, actually, didn't they didn't even put her name in there. Uh, she wanted to answer one of the questions in the interview, so she came into the driver's seat, mm-hmm. and, she's, and this lady's demeanor completely changed the way she was sitting, the way yeah. she was talking. Her I think accent I've seen that one. Changed. She had like multicolor hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did it's see that. It's really, one. Yeah, that really interesting. Hair, yeah. um, but she said it's really scary because she can be out shopping somewhere. She said that her and her partner both have a DID, mm-hmm. and when they walk by a toy store or something, that can trigger the little to come yeah. to the forward, and mm-hmm. then they'll come back and be somewhere completely different. Yeah. And she goes, and the thing is, is that it's scary because this little 
this identity that is literally, they call them alters as well. Yeah. Is physically in in an adult body, but they have the brain of a child, which means they get scared easily. Mm -hmm. They trust people easily. They don't have a lot of inhibition. So I could very easily wake up and be, you know, in a bad situation or somewhere that I don't even know where I am. Yeah. That, not wake up, but come forward. You know, definitely my... something that's intrigued me, and a few of my friends know that. But, yeah. <laughs> but f- um, for some people that little or e- they have even middles, mm-hmm. which are in your young teens, like mm-hmm. fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, um, that it's before the trauma. Mm-hmm. It's things that you, yeah, it's who you were before the trauma occurred. Yeah, and it allows you to live through that have that again yeah, and like build off of who you were as a child yes. in a weird way. And also sense. in this interview, I highly recommend um, you watching it. I, I'll put the link in the show notes. I don't remember what it's called right now, but I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, the, when the little does come forward to answer a question, she gets very upset. And the mm-hmm. question is, do you, I think it was something along, along the lines of now that you know that they're like the stigma about DID is lessened and you have like the right treatment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel kind of? And she started crying and she's like, we have been through so much and it was really scary for a long time. Not knowing it was actually really, sorry, really quick. It was actually really cute because when he said, you know, DID and she goes, we have DID. Like as a little, the child <laughs> alter said excited. that she was like, I know about that. Like, That's she like, was excited to be, like, to For know. me, when I would find other kids with ADD, it was like, you have ADD? <laughs> I have ADD! <laughs> but she said that the fact that they were able to get diagnosed and treated has been such a blessing, and she was on the verge of tears, like I said, just saying, like, it was like we were so alone, and now we're not alone anymore, and it's a really good feeling. Yeah. So powerful to me. Yeah. I feel like DID is so interesting because I have watched cases where they keep each other company, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you have a protector, you have a little, you have um, even sometimes, like, a sultry or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, kind of a figure. And, but that they're also close. Mm -hmm. Now, the comorbidity, which I don't think that you said what comorbidity was, and of course we know, but I want to make sure that the listeners know just because I didn't know that a long time ago, and I do know. So comorbidity is a simultaneous presence of like two or more diagnoses in the same person. So the most common comorbidities for this disorder are depression, anxiety, substance abuse, self-harm, and actually non-epileptic seizures is one. Weird. Right? I know. Now the prevalence... This was so interesting to me. You remember how I told you that schizophrenia was 1% prevalent mm-hmm. in the United States, which is a lot of people? Mm-hmm. This one's 1.5%. More than that schizophrenia. That is more than schizophrenia and more than bulimia. Wow. Higher than that. And it's actually closer in prevalence to OCD. Hmm. So the prevalence for males is 1.6% and for females it's 1.4%. So it's a little higher than males. Yeah. A little higher in males. Now, uh, suicide risk associated with this disorder is over 70%, unfortunately. Uh, they've Well, over 70% of 70%. patients have attempted. Uh, multiple attempts are very common, and other self-harm behavior is very oh, frequent. That's so unfortunate. Because, I mean, I can't imagine ha- is it having... Is dealing with the stress of, of multiple identities? Well, this is uh, one thing that I wanted to point out with that. It's very hard to diagnose unless you know what signs and symptoms to look for in yourself or outward. But a lot Mm -hmm. of people, this is why we're doing this, a lot of people do not know what this disease presents itself like or disorder presents itself Hmm. like. Now, 
And I'll get into the diagnosis in a second. Uh, I did a couple myths and facts because I liked that, that we did that about schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So one myth, uh, people with DID are violent. Just like schizophrenia, people with DID are not more violent, but their combined drug use and substance abuse may cause violent tendencies. Uh, DID is a personality disorder. DID and personality disorder are actually separate mental health conditions. While DID was previously referred to as multiple personality disorder, it is not a personality disorder, which is part of the reason why it was changed uh, DID is actually categorized as a dissociative disorder in the DSM-5. Hmm. These involve loss of contact with oneself and usually begin in childhood, while perso- personality disorders are characterized by a fixed pattern of personality traits that inhibit a person's ability to live a normal, stable life. Okay. We just talked about personality disorders with uh, Butch in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, number three, DID is always obvious. Like I said, DID is difficult to diagnose. Researchers have actually found that, on average, a person will receive up to four incorrect diagnoses before being accurately diagnosed with DID. Wow. A person may spend 12 or more years in the mental health system before the correct diagnosis is given. That is so unfortunate. So why is this so commonly misdiagnosed? Right. Uh, Well, first, most patients with this disorder do not present seeking help for this disorder, but instead they'll seek treatments for the symptoms of the disorder. So they won't... They'll either try to self-medicate or they'll try to seek treatment for the symptoms instead like, of trying to get the, the, the sort of diagnosed. Like memory loss or... Yes, exactly. Okay. Huh. In some cases, a person may seek treatment for childhood trauma and be unaware of this dissociative identity. Misdiagnosis can also be due to the difficulty of distinguishing the signs of DID, especially in an outpatient setting because hmm. the person's not being monitored 24-7. Right. There's hours and hours that could go by with one identity presenting, and that's mm-hmm. maybe that's the protector because they don't want the host to have to endure it. And then you don't switch in front of somebody, and they never know. Uh, the most obvious symptom, of course, multiple identities may not be notified or noticed unless a personality shift occurs during a therapy session. Hmm. And therapy sessions are only an hour long. Yeah, you so know, what are the if odds? someone is again forward presenting, and they don't switch in front of someone, it's very hard to tell. That is interesting. So, like, it's it's probable to say that maybe someone with DID could be one, have one f- forward-facing identity, like, with you, but mm-hmm. I might have another forward-facing identity with mom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was actually, the same interview that I was listening to, the protector had come and presented himself, and he said, we don't tell people that we have DID. Mm-hmm. They, it's it's safer to not tell people that because mm-hmm. they're going to ridicule us. We don't tell them that. But when the other host comes out, she's like, I don't mind telling people that we have DID, you know? And so wow. it's whoever is in the driver's seat yeah. behind the wheel that gets to choose. Um, and last but not least, the myth uh, number four, DID is not real. Many people think that psychiatrists do not believe the disorder is real and that they use the disorder as an excuse to diagnose somebody. Um, research has confirmed the existence and validity of DID, of course, that there's in the DSM. There's actually, this is so interesting, there's been research done where patients do CT scans, and when their identity shifts, there's an indicator on the CT scan in the brain that that's happening. It, like, triggers certain parts of the brain? Yes. <gasps> Isn't that so interesting? <laughs> now, treatment... Uh, while DID is not curable, there are many different ways to treat the disorder that give people the opportunity to live very full lives. Something as simple as talk therapy can actually be very beneficial for mm-hmm. the individual just to at least come to terms with their disorder. The different identities will never go away, but if they can all be informed about the diagnosis, they can work together to kind of live yeah. a good, healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. kind of like what we were saying. Um, so I did my, <laughs> my due diligence and looked up some killers that suffer from DID oh, or did. okay. Uh, we have not talked about any of these people yet, which I'd like to. 
Uh, so the first one is, and I kind of put their crimes to the side and what uh, time it like time frame it was, mm-hmm. just because I want to remember and some people might not know about these people. So the first one is Billy Milligan. He was convicted of Billy rape, aggra- aggravated robbery, yeah. and kidnapping in 1978. I think he has a Netflix documentary out. He right probably, now. yeah, I think yeah. he does too. Uh, Juanita Maxwell. She was convicted of murder in 1979. Mm. Billy Joe Harris was convicted of rape in 2011. He's not a murderer, but still in here. Um, Dwayne Wilson was com- convicted of murder in 2005, and Thomas Husky was con- uh, convicted of murder, rape, and robbery in 92. Mm-hmm. So we probably won't put Billy Joe in here unless he... I mean, we might. I don't know. He doesn't yeah. have to be a killer to yeah. <laughs> touch on his crimes, but... I also looked up celebrities that suffer from DID. Okay. Now, I want to be very clear. These celebrities may... Some of them were diagnosed. Some of them were not diagnosed, but everybody... All of the ones that I read have been speculated by professionals that they mm-hmm. could have this disease okay. or disorder. Uh, so that is Aaron Carter. Really? Britney Spears. Okay. I can see... Uh, Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr. Okay, I can see Roseanne yes. Barr, yeah. Um, Adam Duritz, which is the lead singer of Counting Crows. Oh, wow, Who I is? didn't know that. He dated Kate Hudson for a little bit, really? I think. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Uh, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj. Herschel Walker, who was the 2008 Heisman Trophy winner. Okay. Lady Gaga. <gasps> Lady Gaga? Oh. Mel Gibson. Oh, Mel Gibson. <laughs> and last, but very Dave, not least. David Hasselhoff? No. Oh, damn. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. So, I kind of see that. This just goes to show That's, everybody. That is incredible. I feel like there's a little bit of a pattern. This just goes to show everybody. People are not their diagnosis. Yeah. People can live and do live very, very full lives with these exact same diseases that these people that we talk about in true crime just so happen to have. Again, we want to be very clear. We are not at all saying that everybody that has DID is a criminal. We are also not saying that every criminal has DID. We are, again, trying to shed light on the mental disorder and also talk about true crime in the yeah. process. Um, but again, it just goes to show you never know who is struggling with anything, especially mm-hmm. famous people. They're not going to let you know that. Of course, it's on the internet, but I had to search for it. It's not just out there for people yeah. to see. And these people especially don't post about it themselves. That is super interesting. You know, it, I think it is one of those things that's definitely stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you talk about split or whatever mm-hmm. it is and how how some of those things can be portrayed as scary things. Yeah. You know, that these are scary people. Yeah. And, and to use a mental illness or a mental disorder to perpetuate that idea in yeah. Hollywood is kind of gross. And in the uh, community of people diagnosed with DID, they actually... Um, kind of put a lot of negative thoughts out about Split. So James McAvoy actually um, did his research, of course, on the disorder, but he did research on the computer and he didn't talk to people in person and to really understand the disorder. So when he went, it was kind of like, kind of the stigma stuff that he was, you know, antithesizing. And the people that actually suffer from DID noted that, no, like, we're not all like that, you know? I mean, they were like, yes, some of it is accurate, but no, we're yeah, not all like this that. This is, like, extreme. Yeah. Um, it's also worth noting, because I just finished a podcast about John Wayne Gacy. Shout mm-hmm. out, Morbid. Um, they said that he tried to convince the prosecutors that he had DID while he was being interrogated, and he literally is such a bumbling idiot that he, <laughs> he goes, that wasn't me, that was Jack, like, just in split. He's like, that wasn't Oop. me, that was Patricia. Yeah. But he Patricia. goes, no, and then Jack did this, and Jack did that. Well, this is John speaking, and Jack did all Jack this. Did, yeah. 
well, you're a dumbass because I just told you dissociative amnesia. He wouldn't know what Jack did. Yeah. So he was trying to blame this alternate personality, Jack, on the, mur- the murders on him of 33 teenagers yeah. that were under his house. Under his house. Um, but obviously professionals were like, <laughs> I yeah, feel this like guy's if, fucking stupid. <laughs> I feel like if Jack was burying bodies in his basement, John probably would have smelled it. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Instead of literally hiring more teenage boys to go down there and try to cover up the smell. Right. So, well, that's a story for another time. <laughs> um, I Really quick, before we finish, I'd like to correct uh, something that I made a mistake on on the last Mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. I had said that for a schizophrenia diagnosis to be made, that the person have, has to have had um, symptoms for a long period of time. I think I said recently, but I said recurring. I said a bunch of different things that didn't make sense. I said one to six months. Yes, you're yeah. right. So it is one to six months, but it has to have been happening for the previous month in order to be diagnosed. So it can't be like one to six months three years ago. Right. Um, it has to be consecutive. So if somebody is exhibiting these symptoms for less than six months and obviously right before up to their diagnosis, they actually t- uh, diagnose them with schizophreniform. So it is okay. very similar to schizophrenia, but it is not occurring for longer than six months. Um, so it's like episodes or what I want to call it's them. It's not episodic. It's, yeah. it's not as elongated as schizophrenia. If yeah. You will. Um, and this disorder typically only lasts from one to six months. It doesn't last anywhere past that. If it lasts somewhere past that, they then need to cha- get their diagnosis changed to schizophrenia instead of oh, schizophrenia form. Okay. That right. was just something I wanted to clear up because I was like, oh, like I was in yeah. class today and I was like, I said that wrong. I don't want people to think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Call us out, guys. So, yeah, please, please email us. Um, we want to hear what you guys have to say. We want to be told if we're, you know, saying something incorrectly. We want to be very accurate on our information. So, please, please reach out to us if you feel that we are incorrect on something or if you know that we're incorrect on something. Or if you guys literally just want to pick apart the case and say, oh, you left this out on a case. Yeah. Like, or you left this information out. And and sometimes, honestly, guys, it's not because we... It's because we left it out on purpose just for time. But, um, again, if you guys have any extra information that you want shouted out or whatever... Yeah. Um, in the DeFeo case or the mental breakdowns or in any case that we have. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, also, if you just want to email us and just put, like, the subject line as high and then the body as high, I would... It would make my day. I would quite literally could cry. Hi. Or hello. <laughs> hello. Well, thank you all for sticking around for our second mental breakdown. We will see you in a few days with our new case, and then we will have a new mental breakdown for you all. If you have any suggestions in the meantime, please, please, please hit us up on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. Tweet us at Killer Diagnosis. You can also join the Patreon if you feel so inclined at patreon.com slash Diagnosing a Killer. And if you don't care for Apple Podcasts or you don't have Apple Podcasts and you're listening on RSS, please, we are on Spotify as well. So you're welcome to look there as well. We're also on, um, what's it called? Uh, RSS. And no, we the, have Apple Podcasts and the, we have Spotify and we have Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout. Yeah, we're also <laughs> on Buzzsprout. So if you would like to stream your podcast through there, please do so. Well, I think that's all I got for tonight. I'm going to go watch the Astros win Game 1 of the World Series. Ooh, all right, all right. <laughs> I am going to stay home <laughs> and play some video games. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and play some Overwatch. <laughs> all right, love you, bye. Love you, bye. Bye.